0: We want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded. And this area's original name is Nam. We pay respect to them and their elders, past, present, and emerging.
1: You're listening to We Want to Be Better. It's a little mini series, babe.
0: So my husband had a problem with my drinking. I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but I was. My mouth was agape in shock, but I listened and I understood. Hearing the hurt in his voice as he described what life had been like over the years with me and my drinking, my mind started flashing back over our relationship and I could finally see it clearly. I mean, I can't remember most of it because I was blackout drunk during those instances, but I knew what he was talking about. Like the time I drunkenly called him demanding he bring home 10 chicken and cheeseburgers from Macca's and if he came home with any less than 10, I'd leave him. But then when he did come home, I had passed out and he couldn't wake me up. Or maybe the time that I passed out in the car before we'd gotten home and he had to carry me to the bed from the car. Perhaps it was the time I wet the bed, although in that case I'd have to ask which time because it happened more than once. Or maybe it was just overall my consistent drunkenness, my drunk conversations with him, my slurred speech, my staying out all night without telling him where I was, or my inviting of random people over in the wee hours of the morning before he had work the next day. Maybe it was my constant house parties. Maybe it was my trashing of the house. Maybe it was me needing money from him because I blew all mine on booze. Maybe it was me cancelling plans with him because I was either too drunk or too hungover. Maybe it was my word vomit when drunk, or maybe it was my actual vomit, because I'm sure everyone loves grabbing a bucket for their spouse and listening to them vomit themselves to sleep at night. Yeah, look, fair enough that he had a problem with my drinking. This wonderful man had put up with a lot from me. I had been selfish. I'd put booze before him time and time again. Realizing I hurt him with my drinking was hard, but I was determined to fix this and make it up to him. I would never get drunk again for him. Luckily, I had been placed on medication and it was very dangerous to drink on these meds. No more than two drinks at a time, three times a week, or no more than three drinks a time, twice a week, miles away from what I had been drinking before. I do remember a month earlier when my rheumatologist had asked me how many units of alcohol I drank in a week. I had shrugged. I hated that question. I mean, how long is a piece of string? I had looked at Palmer and back at the rheumatologist and tried to do the math. Fifteen, I said, knowing full well it was likely double that. And considering that I was drinking more than a standard drink at a time, it was probably actually triple that. At first, I was sad about the medication and losing my ability to drink. But after hearing what Palmer had said, I was grateful for it. Before Palmer had even said anything, I had often wondered when I was going to slow my roll with booze. I mean, at that time, I was 28 and I had been drinking steadily for over 10 years. I had definitely wondered if this was it for life now. When would I get to the age that I'd just be a responsible drinker? The ones I'd heard of who go out and just have one or two. The drinkers who exercise control. The ones who moderate. When was I going to be one of those? Well, I figured now was my chance. The meds made it easy for two reasons. One, it actually stopped me drinking more than two drinks because I knew the risks involved and really didn't want cirrhosis of the liver. But two, everyone knew about it and knew not to pressure me about drinking. Before the meds, the social pressure to drink was heavy upon my head. Because I had built up my reputation of being the party girl, I was expected to be at all parties and I was expected to party, to put on a show. If I rocked up and tried to take it easy, I'd be accused of being dull. If I decided to leave early, people would complain. I don't want to act like I was the pied piper of pissed people, but people wanted me at their parties. I felt like a court jester sometimes, dragged out and made to perform, often against my will. I see now that it was likely just good having me there because at least there would be one drunken buffoon whose hedonism made everyone else feel better about their own drinking. But on these meds, no one said anything. People pitied me, actually. I had free range to leave whenever I wanted, to cancel whatever I wanted. I would attend a bar with friends, have one beer, and then call it a night. I'm just feeling sick from these meds, I'd say, feigning nausea. And they'd say, oh, poor bee. And then I'd drive myself home and eat pizza with my husband on the couch and be bursting with pride and happiness that I could save my marriage and that I didn't have to get sloshed anymore. Before the meds, if I tried to leave after one beer, there would be cries of outrage. People would accuse me of not caring about their special day, of which, by the way, there were plenty. We'd drink for anything. Anything was a special day. Birthdays, quitting a job, getting a new job, having a good date, having a bad date, dogs' birthdays, in-laws leaving town, it was always someone's special day. And by me leaving the pub early, it was tantamount to a slap in the face of that person for not staying back to get shit-faced. I was actually so grateful to these meds for relieving that pressure and my mindset started to shift about drinking. I knew that getting drunk definitely didn't make me happy anymore. I knew that I liked not having hangovers. I enjoyed being present in my relationship and I felt so blessed that I was finally a moderate drinker who was in control and who would never embarrass herself or her husband again. But then, the meds actually made me sick, really sick. The side effects started making life unbearable and I was taken off the medication. I wasn't really worried that this would make me drink more though because I had seen the light now. I didn't want to drink like I used to. I drank light beers now. I left parties early now. I knew my limit. I was a responsible drinker. Alcohol would never get the best of me again. Right?
1: They say that a best friend doesn't bail you out of jail. They are there with you in jail. Unfortunately though, the reason we were in this sticky situation was that Bianca was headed towards murder and I was her accomplice and the person that would die, well, herself. I would lay in bed looking straight up, eyes wide open as I tried to slow my heart rate, thinking how the fuck I would live without her. She was going to leave me. I knew alcohol could kill It killed my family member's girlfriend when she was in her early 30s and losing my brother in a car accident at 19, I knew we weren't immune to tragedy. As I restlessly rolled around in bed, flipping the tear-stained pillows to find my dry spot, I played out scenarios where I had to talk to Bianca's mum at her funeral. After all, how could I confront her knowing how many times I was next to her when she got shit-faced? I even bought her drinks. But that was it. Bianca getting sick and going on medication was the blessing in disguise I had dreamt of. The medication meant she would be forced to moderate. Gee, you know things aren't going so well when you're happy that your best friend has been diagnosed with a chronic illness. I'll be real, part of me had my doubts that she'd be able to do it. There had been so many times where alcohol wasn't even involved and she got drunk. Her drunk at my twin's four-year-old ocean-themed birthday party springs to mind – she was dressed as a giant squid and in the theme of the party had drunk an ocean's worth of grog and was scaring the kids. I had to prize a little baby out of her arms as she fell. <laughs> Look, Fuck off. It's true though. Yeah. But she was my best friend and if she said that she was going to make something happen, I absolutely believed her. Plus, it was simply too painful to lose hope. Palmer had tried to help Bianca... I had tried to help Bianca. Maybe now the doctors could help Bianca. And moderate she did. She started out so strong, I was so surprised. She turned up to places and did so well. Gosh, maybe this would work after all, I would think. But it wasn't long until the excuses rolled in, that her doubts about the medication working or miscalculating how much she could have were plenty. And, you know, this is just one time, she would say. I just knew the second that alcohol touched her lips, I had two options of getting through to her. Slim and none. And Slim had left town. And before I knew it, there I was again, right next to her at the parties people had begged her to attend. We were a two-woman act. They needed her, but Bianca needed me. I sat there with my hoodie pulled up, watching her incoherently perform in the outdoor sensor lighting to a crowd of friends in deck chairs. She finished and walked over to me, sitting on my lap. I held her so close, but I knew things had to change. Moderation wasn't working.
0: That was yet another difficult to listen to monologue. Thank you, Annie, for that. <laughs> <laughs> I have been fucking ripped to shreds.
1: I've been <laughs> through it with this podcast. Do you know, though, you know you're not very affectionate, and so the one hug. Time. Mm. I have on a photo of that <laughs> hug when <laughs> you came over and sat on me, and I loved it so much. Yeah. I remember just holding you in an almost motherly way. mm it was, it's such a moment in time where I remember it just going, this is, this is the end. This is- yeah. You know, I have to be drunk if I well, touch you. Well, it had you. to go two ways. You know,
0: i be drunk <laughs> if I touch you. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. Look, today we're going to be talking about moderation and moderation is usually sort of the first stopover on the way to sobriety. I think it's such an attractive option because it seems like a really good idea. Alcohol couldn't exist in my life in the capacity it had been, but I couldn't imagine my existence without alcohol. So I was trying to find this middle ground and that to me was moderation. And I really did feel on top of the world when I had a handle on it. And that was when I had the meds, which surprisingly – I was just like you. I didn't think I was going to stick to it, but I did pretty good.
1: I think it was also the freshness of having a lecture from your doctor saying, if you drink, Mm -hmm. you are going to have your organs shut down. You're going to have all these really bad things. But it slowly wore off that time between you seeing your doctor. That Mm -hmm. is one thing. But also the minute that you would start drinking, well, your inhibitions were totally left. That's the problem with moderation
0: is that it will work sometimes or for a little while and then that leads you into this false sense of thinking that you can do it but the problem is is that alcohol is addictive and it lowers your inhibitions so you're finding this uphill battle of you know yeah it works once or twice you feel on top of the fucking world you're a moderate drinker i've got this i'm amazing i'm never going to drink again but then you know you'll have nights like you know you're saying where it gets away from me or it gets away from you and then you like wake up out of a blackout and you're like what the fuck i've done this again and the guilt comes to you tenfold Mm. because you're so disappointed in yourself that you failed. You're so mad at yourself that you can't trust yourself anymore. And the anxiety is so intense and you're just really mad at yourself. The thing is though, you're never mad at the alcohol. It's you didn't stop yourself. You didn't take Mm. yourself out of that situation.
1: The other thing is we would... We, um, unfortunately I was the right there, we would try different ways to stretch out your drinking. So watering down your wine mm-hmm. became a really big thing. Yeah. You would put ice in everything, you know, hoping that it would last a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But actually that just made it really hard to keep track. Yeah. I would have
0: like water between my drinks or I would like only drink light beers for every third beer. Like it was just, it was a nightmare and it was also really tiring. I think we're going to play a clip now mm. of one of the days. This was after I'd been off the medication and I had gone out to a bar that will remain nameless for this. <laughs> look. Look. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah, But basically, yeah. if you were going
1: there, it was going to be a ruckus night. It would be free alcohol as well. Mm -hmm. And that sounds great. No, (laughs) 18-year-old me's dream to Mm -hmm. go out somewhere and be handed a shot. But it just went way too far. Yeah, it did. So this
0: is me the day after one of those nights. Something awful happened last night. Um, I genuinely, like, don't even want to tell you about it. But I feel like I should be honest and... That's, honesty is my policy, babe. So I got extremely drunk last night. I haven't drunk like that in a very long time. And I, no, it's not, it's not cute. It's bad, actually. Anyway, I woke up and I was sweating profusely, ran to the bathroom and I see that Palmer was lying on the couch and I was like, what the fuck happened last night that I've pissed him off and he slept on the couch? Like, what? This is like going on in my mind and I'm like fuck like I've obviously come home and run my mouth like good one B like that's classic B right anyway go back to bed and it's freezing cold fucking freezing and then I realized oh shit B you weren't sweating the reason it's cold is because the blankets are wet because you wet the bed Mm mm-hmm yeah. I said to Palmer, I was like, are you sleeping out here because of something terrible that I did? And he was like, no, I just fell asleep out here. And I was like, well, FYI, I wet the bed. So, it's so funny because, you know, <laughs> well, it's not funny, but you know, when you <laughs> drink so much that you start blaming some mysterious person at the bar who obviously spiked your drink because there's no possible way you drank that much. Like, obviously I think that I think the obvious, I think it's very obvious that someone clearly slipped me something. Because, like, where? <laughs> like <laughs> clearly some demented person was there last night and they spiked my drink. Because I would never wet the bed. I farmer's <laughs> like, no one slipped you anything. You just drank too much. Yeah, I know, but it makes me feel better to lie to myself.
1: <laughs>
0: but on a serious note, I am not proud of my actions whatsoever. Um, I'm really pissed off at myself that I did drink so much. Like, I don't want to be drinking anymore, but it's it's really hard. Like, it's it's a hard habit to kick. Drinking to the point where I black out um, used to be something that I would do Like, two or three times a week. Like, not even joking. And now this is, like, the second time it's happened since July. So, like, I'm getting better. Don't get me wrong, I still drink, but I only get tipsy. Like, getting to this level of drunk that I was last night and having this feeling the next day where you can't remember anything and you just have this overwhelming dread is fucking awful. I obviously need to work on not drinking. I think I'm doing better, but yeah i just like need to remind myself how fucking shit this feels and how much i hate myself today the next time that i'm drinking so it doesn't happen again i said to Palmer, i need help obviously so if i'm ever out drinking can you just take me wheel me out of the bar and he was like why can't you be in control of your own actions and i was like i can't even be in control of my own bladder help me his question is valid why can't i be in control of my own actions cute like, totally valid question. I should be. Um, but it's called alcoholism. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard fucking habit to break, particularly because it's so easily enabled because everyone does it. I'm sure if I was shooting up the shard, people would be fucking telling me to get help, which they... 100% should be but because it's you know just having a couple babies with the boys people let it slide so this got really depressing real quick I'm so sorry but yeah I'm not feeling very good today despite the wedding, like I'm really disappointed in myself and I need to work on myself I feel like people do not talk about the struggle of trying to quit or cut down alcohol and if anyone is going through that right now I feel fucking feel you. It is really hard. And for the most part, I'm doing really well. But then I have a fucking relapse like this and I hate it. Like it doesn't post booze blues is what I have right now. And let me tell you, it ain't cute. And I, the fact that I wet the bed on top of that is just like not helping. It's just like. Yeah, that's, again, hard to take. I remember
1: at the time, Everyone laughing, thinking, I mean, you're you're really begging
0: there. I had a really fucking bad day that day. When I think about when I wanted to stop drinking, that fucking day really sticks out to me. And I wrote in my notes on my phone and posted it to my close friends on Instagram. And I'm going to read it to you. So this is what I wrote. Okay, so today I have been through it. I wet the bed, vomiting, booze blues, just complete misery to be quite honest. I am deciding to make some serious changes cuz I do not want to be in this situation again. But I can't do this on my own. I really need your help. So if you can consider the following few things, it'll make life so much easier for me. Please don't invite me to insert name of bar we mentioned before. Honestly, they basically don't charge and I end up taking advantage of the free booze and getting way too drunk. I got to avoid. If you want me to come over for a wine, I am more than happy to. But if you have more than one bottle in your house, don't tell me about those bottles, okay? Just keep it down to a wine. Keyword A. Please pull me the fucking line and tell me to stop drinking or slow down. I will likely get mad or pissed, but honestly, I need you to do it. Things to say that will help me are B. Are you sure? Remember how sad you get the next day and think of your mental health. Please invite me to do things that are not alcohol related. Things like walks, beach, movies, dinners, breakfast, gym, etc. I need more interactions with my friends that aren't based around alcohol anyway. Please give me all your best light beer recommendations. And that's it. I know it's kind of rude to ask you all to modify your behavior just for me, but I have to finally quit this habit and I need your help to do it. Otherwise, I am just fighting an uphill battle. Love you all. For straight off the bat the lack the lack of accountability on myself is actually so embarrassing in that
1: situation well i don't I don't know if it's a lack of accountability it's someone that like desperately needed help, but we're not given much education around how we can do that mm. like what what are the first steps everything seems like it's in a movie like you go to aa like where the fuck is that well i don't know yeah and as friends like if the person that actually wants help is so lost and doesn't know what to do the people around that person really don't know what to do so if anything I thought it was fantastic that I was being given instruction because there were so many times where I felt like I was being the party pooper or whatever when I would say to you, hey, B, do you reckon that's enough? I was glad to have the permission Mm. to actually tell you off, to have something to refer back to. Hey, Bianca, remember you put it on your Mm. stories? (laughs) And I was happy for that.
0: I think, though, like the saddest thing when I look back on that is that I, you know, I'm so conflicted. Like I'm full on mm. like Natalie and Brookley are nothing's fine. I'm torn because I'm like, hey, I don't want to drink anymore, but also still want to drink. Like it's
1: mm. come over for a wine, yeah, but not
0: a bottle. But not a bottle. Yeah. And I don't know. It's weird to me to look back on this because I really was in a rough spot. And the thing that is interesting about moderation that I find that it's usually mostly a silent battle for people. So I feel that it's this thing where you've identified that you have a problem. You don't even want to say it out loud because the thought of, claiming that you're an alcoholic or that you have a drinking problem means sobriety. So you definitely don't want to say it out loud because then that would make you accountable. So for the most part, you know, you're going out with your friends, you're having fun, but the next day you're in complete misery. And so you're moderating and you're doing it alone. I was not doing it alone. I was not silent. I was very vocal and I still couldn't moderate. So it really doesn't work. And today we are speaking with Bex Weller, who is the author of A Happier Hour and Up All Day, who I love. Mm. She's amazing. You're into quit-lit. Quit-lit, which is literature about... I'm
1: into, yes. into clit-lit. Oh, you mm. like
0: clit-lit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, I'll go either way. Yeah. What do
1: you say? What? It kind
0: of lost us or whatever lost it. Us. <laughs> but yeah so bex well uh she's written a book called a happy hour I highly recommend it particularly if you're struggling with moderation because i think she really describes it perfectly in her book uh she also runs an online sobriety program called sexy sobriety and i will put a link to that in the show notes oh, maybe We've-
1: she could merge the sexy sobriety like the quit and the clit lit
0: oh my god that's it So Bex, Weller is with us. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on today, Bex. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I just want to say I know that you probably get this a lot, but I read your book, A Happier Hour, and it was quite emotional for me reading it, and I'm sure it was very emotional for you writing it, but some of the things it really felt like it was me. You were telling my own story.
2: Yes, and I do. I do hear that a lot, and you know that's what what really uh, inspired me to share that story. Because when I shared, when I first found the courage to share my story on my my little blog I had back then many years ago. I received an outpouring of love and support from other women and so many wrote to me and said, it was like reading my diary. It was like you took the words out of my mouth and put them onto your blog page. And so when I was writing the book, I wanted to be super, super honest and truthful as well so that others could recognise their story in mine. I feel the same way when I announced my sobriety.
0: I was so concerned that people would see me as a different person and not want to follow me or have anything to do with me. I was so worried that it was so much of who I was, was held up in like being this drunk party girl. And then the amount of love and outpouring I got from people and who were just saying, Oh my God, me too. I've been thinking about cutting back. Like I want to stop. I was overwhelmed. And I was like, wow, okay, clearly people want to hear about this. So it's time to start talking about it. But yeah, I was just blown away. I actually got really teary. And the bit where you talk about coming home (laughs) and eating fajitas with your partner on the couch and how that was so such a good time for you. I did cry because I had the same thing with my partner that I realised, oh, my God, I actually
2: enjoy this. This is what I like having fun doing. Mm-hmm. It's such an eye opener, isn't it? Because, you know, for so many years I fooled myself into believing the only way I could have fun was through the bottle. Like it was always mm-hmm. about alcohol. Everywhere I went. Didn't matter if it was a music gig or if it was going to parties or out to dinner. It was always about the alcohol. And when I took that away, suddenly I was like Actually, there's so much beauty and magic in life, but I was missing it because I was giving my power away to alcohol and and saying that that was the only way I could have fun. But in actual fact, there's a million ways I can have fun. Would you say that growing up you were a confident
1: or a shy person?
2: I was very shy. Yeah, <laughs> very that's... very introverted, very shy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's probably also why it was hard to stop drinking or even think about when you're in that, you know, that situation where you were drinking a lot. It was giving you that liquid courage that so many people talk exactly. about. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and and I really believe that's why I fell in love with it when I was when I was a teenager was because all of a sudden I could be this confident and outgoing girl that I always longed to be and fooled myself into believing for the twenty odd years that I was drinking that oh I'm outgoing now like I I'm the life of the party I'm a big extrovert. But what I failed to see is that I used to have drinks before I went out to sort of give me the courage for when I arrived. Mm. <laughs> and then I would drink so much while I was out. And and I was always nervous in situations that didn't include drinking beforehand. I would think, oh, okay, socializing without alcohol, that sounds, that sounds awkward. <laughs> and then when I stopped drinking, I was so surprised to find that that shy, introverted girl had never gone away. She was still there. So part of that stopping, part of the grieving for that old identity of of me being so this extroverted girl who was always the first to organize the parties and always first in line, making sure everyone had a good time. And, you know, in many ways one of my beautiful clients, she called it rebranding ourselves <laughs> and, and and looking at how we can reconcile our new lives with this new identity that we're uncovering because I had to then come to terms with oh okay my my natural instinct is to be introverted and a little bit shy a little bit quiet and how can I fall in love with that woman as opposed to this other woman that I thought I was wow yeah that's
1: so so full and and I think that so many people will resonate resonate Mm. with that
0: The first thing I want to talk about is moderation because I think a lot of people when they hear the word sober, they think absolutely not, could never do that. And the biggest thing I found um, since going sober is people reaching out to me saying, I want to do that too, but I want to cut back. I want to cut back. Like I just, I let myself get too crazy. I just want to stop doing it. And after reading your book and going through my own experience, I know that moderation is so hard and it is hard because we think we can have a grapple on it and we just you can't like you know what everyone says oh I'm gonna, mm-hmm. just gonna have one glass of wine tonight and then they wake up the next day and they can't remember what happened and they get angry at themselves because oh I was just meant to have one so why is it that sobriety and not moderation why is it that our moderation doesn't work?
2: Yeah, and, and, and I I think the the reason why sobriety is so terrifying is because most people drink, and so I mean I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute, but but the moderation, you know, alcohol is addictive; it's an addictive substance, and studies have shown that even just a taste of alcohol triggers dopamine release and causes cravings, and also once we have a drink, we we lose our inhibitions, so we our judgment is impaired, and so then we think. the second drink is a good idea. And then we think the third drink is a good idea. Mm. And then, of course, the sixth drink is a great idea. (laughs) And you know it snowballs from there. And one of the things that rocked my world when I first was looking into sobriety, and I was so terrified about what that could mean, but I didn't see how else I could progress because I tried moderation over and over again. And like you say, I kept making rules around my drinking of, well, I'll only drink on Fridays. And then I drink on Saturdays or I'll, I'll only have three drinks and then I'd have six. When we do that, we, we just ruin that relationship with ourselves. We break that trust with ourselves over and over again. And we keep damaging our self-esteem and our self-worth plummets. When I was looking at uh, moderation and as as opposed to sobriety, you know, I was thinking, if I'm making all these rules around drinking as well, is that really freedom? Because when I thought about my drinking, I thought I drink to cut loose. I drink to, to you know, feel reckless abandon type thing. And if I'm making all these rules, is that really freedom? Perhaps removing alcohol altogether would give me the freedom that I truly crave. Mm. Um, one of our beautiful members, she said, you know, moderation isn't any fun. It's like licking an ice cream cone and then having it swiped out of your hands. And she said, and then it's like running off and buying five ice creams when no one's looking just to prove that you can. Oh my God, that's so I was, true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, for me, if I was truly honest, I didn't just want one glass. I wanted the whole bottle. I wanted to keep going. And coming back to the thing that rocked my world when I was first looking into this was that someone said, it's just about not having that first drink. And I thought, oh, my God, I had always thought the fifth or the sixth drink was the problem. I always beat myself up about you weren't supposed to have that fifth drink. And I thought, imagine if it is just this first drink that's the issue. I just don't have the first drink. And suddenly all this drama and all this heartache is removed from my life. Yeah, wow, that's... That's so true. <laughs>
0: I think the thing that's interesting with moderation is that we see it towards the end of like when we decide like, okay, enough is enough. Because I think, you know, when you're drinking and you are you don't have a problem with alcohol, you like it, moderation is something that you don't care about. You want to drink as much. But it's interesting that when you decide, oh, okay, I've had one too many hangovers. I just wish I could stop this. That's when moderation you realise, okay, maybe I do have a problem with this. It seems to me that like when you're drinking, mm. you don't care, you you don't mind. But when you want to moderate, that's when you realise I actually don't have control over this. And then you get even more angry with yourself that you can't control it. Whereas before you didn't even care.
2: Oh, gosh, yes. And I see some of my friends going through this now because if they kept drinking, then they don't realize that they're addicted, right? You you don't understand that you are because you're like, well, there's no problem. But it's the minute that you try to stop something. And this is, you know, whether it's, online shopping or scrolling on social media or (laughs) overeating, you know, no matter what the addiction or the pattern is, the same thing applies. The minute you try to stop it, you realize, oh, you know, this is why there's always that joke of like, I can stop anytime I like. And then at the minute you try to, you realize, oh, hang on, I'm stuck in this pattern further than I thought I was. I
0: also want to talk about drinking culture in Australia and peer pressure because we're Aussies, you know, we love a beer. But, you know, I think what was shocking to me is that when I did say, announce that I was sober, because I kept it a secret for a really long time. I waited till at least it was three months because I was so terrified of, one, people not taking it seriously and peer pressuring me into having a drink. So I thought, you know, at least if I'm like, well, it's actually been three months that I've been sober. So, you know, I am taking it seriously. They'd sort of relieve me of that pressure. But I wanted to keep it a secret because everyone loves a beer, everyone loves a drink. I didn't want to be seen as that social pariah that's no longer doing this. And I was so shocked that when I did say, oh, I'm sober, people were like, I'm so proud of you. I wish I could do that too. And it made me question so much of how I've seen Australia because, you know, I thought, oh, we all love a beer. But now I'm like, do we really? Like, do we want to be known as... The drinkers have, like, you would see this more than everyone because you speak to people about sobriety and drinking all the time. So do you feel that there's a shift in drinking culture in this country?
2: I definitely do see that. I see that people are starting to kind of wake up in a way. And you can see this across the board, you know, whether we're looking at the reactions to Melbourne Cup or, you know, different things across the border, people are starting to question things of, actually, is this appropriate? Is this okay? And I see that with drinking as well. And you know, if you think back to your, your parents or your parents' parents, back in their day, the drinking culture wasn't as huge. It would especially not around the mummy wine culture. You know, there wasn't so much of a push for it. And they would definitely socialise without alcohol many times, you know. And so things have sort of. I feel like they they've built up to this crescendo, and now people are starting to question: actually, is this making me happy? Am I feeling good? as a result of, of of this drinking and this sort of binge drinking culture that we tend to have in Australia. And I see also like I I think it's so strange that we feel peer pressure past the age of 14, you know, like when I stopped drinking and I I started to realize, oh, yeah, I'm so scared to stop drinking because of what people would think of me and that people would pressure me. And it's like I'm a grown woman. Why am I bending down to peer pressure? But we do because we all want to fit in. It's an innate human need to want to connect with others. And so if we believe that connection is attainable through the bottle, through through drinking, then of course we're going to be very invested in that process. And I definitely did believe that the only way to connect with others is through drinking because that was all I had ever known and that's the the friendship groups I had created So I think it's so brave when like you, Bianca, how you shared your story in public, the more people that do that, the more others have permission to feel like, actually, is this working for me? Might I like to try sobriety for a while? And there's a new movement called Sober Curious, where people are just having a little play with sobriety and and doing a little challenge to see, first of all, be more mindful of Am I addicted? What are my patterns like? But also to see what life might be like without drinking because so many of us haven't experienced that in adulthood. You mentioned the mummy wine
1: culture just before and when you were talking Mm. and I'm really interested about this because... I also am sober, although I haven't really announced anything. <laughs> um, and now I just can see it for what it is and how prevalent it is. I mean, it's so memeified; it's everywhere, yes, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yes. Just to to yes. cope with parenthood, and it's very, very women-centric this mummy wine culture it's not there's no daddy wine culture um so rosé has taken off yes would you be able to extrapolate on that mummy wine culture and why you think it's taken
2: off And how? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously, marketers, you'll see this more as well. Like I was driving down to visit family and I went past a massive billboard that said something like, you're out of milk. I can see your fridge from here. You need more wine. And it was like a woman sort of dressed up. It was obviously marketed to other women. And you'll see marketers are targeting women more than ever now because the number of women drinking is on the rise, the number of the amount of drinks that we have is on the rise. And so, you know, that that's one part of it is that the marketers are like, well, here's a whole new market to tap into. Let's really extrapolate on this. And then you also have people who, like me, back when I was drinking, would share a lot of memes about drinking because it helped to normalize it. Like, it helped to normalize my behavior and to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I drank too much on occasion, but. It's funny, you know, it's, mm. it's all a big joke. And so I would, you know, those Facebook on this day memory posts, oh, God. I get those now. And I'm like, oh, God, cringe, <laughs> because so many things that I shared were, were those kinds of memes. And I think when we as a culture and, and, and as a um, big drinking society, as we are experiencing those patterns ourselves, we sort of spread that culture as well. And then other people start to pick it up and people don't even realize that. They're picking it up. I was walking with a friend the other day and she said something about her kids were being a bit troublesome <laughs> and she said, "You know this is why I drink and I thought it's not really though you know you that's just a, a message that you're picking up and you're repeating and then other women are picking that up and repeating it and I think it's for women these days we we have so much going on in that you know we have careers and and potentially children and families to look after and there's so much and I think wine becomes an easy. A release or an, an easy out or an easy escape an easy uh, release valve and you'll see also now yoga classes targeted to women that yoga and wine and it's like what, what? how does this make sense
0: that is like two <laughs> conflicting ideas completely that doesn't... <laughs> and... <laughs> the whole thing about the drinking memes I find interesting because now that I don't drink, I see them everywhere. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting that I want to talk about the term alcoholic because uh, our society is like in two minds of where we absolutely revere the person that can drink anyone under the table and is always up for a good time and like, oh, you know, "I, I drink the most and we're really proud of that. But then at the same time, you know, the person who can drink the most is proud to be that person, but is so simultaneously fearful of being labeled an alcoholic. It's to the point that if someone says it, you get so offended, yet you're sitting there bragging about how much you can drink and sharing all of these memes. And why, <laughs> why are we so afraid of being an alcoholic, but we want to, or at the same time, like shove drinking in everyone's face? Like, what is
2: this? Oh, I know, we're so mixed up as a society around our (laughs) drinking, right? And we used to believe that there were two types of drinkers, either the normal drinker who was all funny and it was all fun and games, or the alcoholic who was sort of ruined and it was a moral failing. What we now understand is that there's a huge broad spectrum of addiction and that people are at different levels and you can stop drinking whenever you like. You don't have to reach rock bottom. And you also think it's so ironic because I used to to hide how much I drank. Like I used to brag about it and, and joke about it sometimes, but also The really shameful times. I used to really hide that, and then when I stopped drinking, I was hiding the fact that I wasn't drinking. So I was like, "This is so messed up. Like, we really don't have a handle on this at all." And you know, personally, I've never found the labels very particularly helpful or accurate because, like I say, uh, there there's a huge broad spectrum of addiction, and addiction is just an experience. It's not an identity. And so I really believe that that label can keep us from moving forward. I I believed that only alcoholics have to stop drinking and that they desperately and sadly pine for alcohol for the rest of their lives. And I thought, well, I don't want that. And so of course that stopped me. That's what scared me about sobriety was that all the stories I'd heard were that people were miserable when they stopped drinking, and they were just constantly white knuckling it and and scared to drink again. And I thought, well, you know, that's not very appealing. And so that was part of my uh, inspiration behind sharing the book and and creating the program was that I wanted to show women that you can create a better life. It's not it's not like the end of your life. And so many sobriety books that I read back then finished when the person got sober. Like they were this huge train wreck of things that happened to the author. And then they finished when the, when the author went to rehab as though that were the end of their life. And I thought that's exactly what I'm scared of. I'm scared of that I won't have a life past this. And so, you know, that term alcoholic, I think can really be a stumbling block for so many people. Yeah, I
0: I was in the same frame of mind of if I label myself an alcoholic, then yeah, I'm going to have to stop and, you know, I'd never be able to touch alcohol again and I'll just think about it all day and it'll be on my mind. So like, I don't want that. And it's interesting because now in sobriety, I don't think about alcohol at all like it's never on my radar whatsoever and it's so strange that I thought I would have to reach rock bottom or or or, you know go through it like I, I just did not want to ever be labeled that alcoholic and now that I look back on it I'm like I don't know if I was an alcoholic like I don't know I don't know if I hit bottom I just sort of stopped but I think people really do think that only alcoholics go sober like it's it's hard when I tell people I'm sober now they're like well what made you change like why 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 what happened to you to make this happen like did you hit bottom were you an alcoholic and I'm like no I just sort of stopped <laughs> but there wasn't a rock bottom but I think people kind of assume the worst and think that I went through this real personal journey of you know finding out that I was an alcoholic or that I was hiding this really dark part about me and I don't know that I was funny
1: that you say that because that happens to me all the time people need to know my reasoning yeah like why though why though and when I say oh just because I don't really want to anymore
2: that's not enough yeah they're like no
1: something should have happened to you
2: yeah Exactly, and it's nuts, right? Because no one says that if you stop smoking. You're like, oh no, I I stopped smoking. They're like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> no one says, but why? Well, yeah, what you've got happened? kids. You've got oh, kids. It's about must time.
0: You have been bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's such a good
1: point. <laughs> I love that your program is about sobriety being sexy. Mm-hmm. That really, I really like that. I love that your, I suppose coming back with rebranding since uh, um you know we were talking before about how targeted alcohol can be towards mothers or women and you're sort of reclaiming that that's amazing so I would really like to know why you did that why why you why do you believe that sobriety Mm -hmm. is sexy
2: Well, you know, when I was drinking, I truly believed that I was the most glamorous seductress in the world. I'm so sorry, I can't help but laugh because I I too was that way
0: until I'd see, you know, my Instagram story the next day and quickly delete everything because while I thought I looked really sexy lip syncing to Beyonce, I wasn't, I wasn't.
2: In reality, I look like a drunken buffoon, but at the time, I thought, I thought I'm so flirty, I'm so fabulous, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know when I when I wanted to stop drinking, that that uh, I thought of sobriety. Like I thought, sobriety is such a downer. Like I don't want to feel miserable. I don't want to feel dowdy or old or boring and so when I when I was brainstorming with my love who's also my business partner and and he was saying what about sexy sobriety because it's you know quite sexy to stand on your own two feet and I was like how yes it is like it really is like really turning that around and feeling empowered by the choice and understanding that you know the more we push Dutch courage aside the more we stand on our own two feet the more courage we have in every situation and that is sexy you know
0: when you're when you're feeling right you're getting turned on no no that just resonates with me so much because I think I like I am a very confident person and have been all my life and then to go out and do things sober my confidence levels have like reached a new high like it's like I've refound who I am and been like oh yeah I am 100% that bitch like you know you (laughs) go to a party and you see everyone else like and they're drinking and I'm there and I'm not drinking and I'm still the life of the party and I walk out of there and I'm like, fuck yeah, I just did that. You get so confident in yourself that you can do it without the alcohol and you really do feel so sexy.
2: (laughs) exactly exactly and the the more you practice as well because i used to have terrible uh, boundary setting you like i used to let people overstep boundaries and then feel resentment and the more you practice that as well you feel like heck yeah i've got my own back I this feels so sexy and empowered and not to mention that like your
0: skin clears up <laughs> like, you're well <laughs> rested true. i i have had people say hey have you had work done and I'm like, no, I just don't drink anymore. Like, <laughs> that is it. I, I look younger than I ever have purely because I'm not having toxins in my body anymore. Like, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> what about the, the people that um, are afraid of doing that? What about the people, like, coming back to you, how you were saying before that you are naturally an introvert? What about those people that are really afraid to sober up? And, you know, it might be a little bit easier for someone like Bianca who is confident naturally. What about those people that are a bit more afraid? How, how do they take that first step?
2: Yeah, the first step is just to decide, like to decide I'm going to do a sobriety experiment. And this is how I love to approach any new lifestyle change. Because I think if we approach it as an experiment, it's less confronting. I wasn't like, I'm going to stop drinking forever. I was like, let me just try it one month and see what that's like. Because you were like a
0: a gluten-free vegan. So like, you know, if you can do (laughs) that, you can pretty much do anything.
2: Exactly. I've been through some changes, Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and each time I was like, okay, look, you know, you don't have to freak yourself out. You don't have to think about forever. You can just... let's do an experiment and let's see what happens because I've had decades of knowing what drinking was like I knew exactly what it was like to drink every festive season to drink at every event what I didn't know was what it was like to go to those things sober so even though and, and I have a mentor that says it's always awkward before it's elegant. And that was one of my mantras because I, as I would go to these things and I would feel introverted or shy and I would feel a little bit awkward, I'd be like, well, that's okay. It was just your first time and this is an experiment just to see how you grow and what it's like and then the next time you'll be better. And, of course, then the next time I was better and it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm blowing my mind with what I'm truly capable of each time I go to these things. So, you know, I really believe just just approaching it for those who are really nervous about starting is just to say, okay, I'm going to do an experiment and I'm just not going to drink for this amount of time, no matter what. And, you know, for me, I had in mind three months in the beginning, but I was scared because I didn't even know if I could do one month. So I sort of had that three-month intention, but I was like, for this one month, I'm going to not drink, no matter what, no matter what comes up and see what happens and then that evolved. Once I got to day 30, I was like, heck, yeah, I feel good. I'm going to keep going. One thing that resonated
0: with me a lot in the book was your family because I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Croatian so, you know, basically growing up, Grappa was like running water, like, you know, that's just how we grew up and so I come from a very big long line of drinkers and it was I coming to my mom and telling her I'm sober now was like I was my heart was like in my throat and I was all hot and I was so scared to tell her I'm not going to do this with you anymore like I'm choosing not to drink anymore and the stress levels that I was feeling telling her that because I really did feel like this is something I do with my family bonding it's a bonding thing was so stressful how is your relationship like with your family because it's hard when it's your family
2: Yes,
0: it's so hard.
2: It is so hard, and especially because you know we want to be close to our family. We want to connect with them, and for all of all of my throughout my drinking, was so many of those things were around big family functions or big family holidays that we would go away together and we would all drink a lot. So I was terrified as well of, of telling them and. I wondered how we would evolve the relationship, like how how would we connect? And so now what I do is I do put a lot more effort into my relationships now, whether it's with friends or with family, where I think of things that we can do together that is fun for all of us. Because, you know, my, my family will still have big drinking trips or big drinking nights that are a bit boring for me. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, maybe I'll go early and I'll leave early, but I can then put more effort into thinking about, okay, but maybe we can go for a morning cruise on something, or maybe we can go do, have a picnic, or we can go to the cinema together, or we can do all these different things and keep suggesting those. So, you know, I, I do put more effort in, but I'm proud of myself for that as well, because I feel like I kind of half asked things for many years and, and didn't really take the steering wheel of my own life. And so now to sort of put conscious effort into creating the relationships and the experiences that I really want to uh, take part in, that's kind of a fun and, it, and it's a challenge and it's, it's exciting because I'm learning more about myself and more about my relationships as I do that.
0: I um don't know if Annie even knows this but one of the things that le- led me to think like I think I want to go sober is I was at her house one night cuz our plumbing got completely messed up and I had to stay at her house. Like our house was flooded with shit basically. And um, Annie and I were at her house on the couch just watching TV, watching like the shopping network and (laughs) not drinking at all. I hadn't thought about drinking at all and it was one of the funnest nights I'd had in a really long time. And when I left, I was like, wow, that's a real friendship. And I got quite emotional because I was like, that was like connecting with a friend that I've been friends with for years but I'm always... Drinking because that's what I always do. And I just had the funnest time with her without alcohol. And I was like, okay, so maybe I actually have a better time with my friends when I'm not drinking. And to have relationships now with friends, I'm not saying that people that drink together are not friends, but it's almost too easy. To just catch up with your friends and be like, let's all go get a drink. And then you don't remember what's happened and you're all sort of just there for the drink. Like the amount of people that I used to be friends with just because I'd be like, hey, can we go get a drink with them? And knowing that they would say yes. So it's kind of interesting now that you are friends with people by choice, not just because you're all led to this nectar, but also because you're really connecting with them.
2: I love that so much. I've got goosebumps because it truly is like I, I, I believe that as well. Like I believed I in quantity over quality and then I came to – I stopped drinking and I would sit down with a friend and we would like look into each other's eyes and I would truly hear her as opposed to wondering where the next drink was coming from or yeah. thinking about something I'd done the night before. I was truly present with her and I would walk away from those relationships or those, or those um catch-ups or hangouts feeling so fulfilled and so lit up and so excited and happy. Like you say, like I remember reading Gabby Bernstein's book just before I wanted to stop drinking and she said something about her Saturday nights used to be all about clubbing and then they became about hanging out with friends, going, doing wholesome things, like going roller skating and having ice creams, which is sort of like, seems like a return to childhood. But there's so much wholesome connection in that, in, in doing things together that don't involve alcohol because you know whether we realize it or not when we're drinking we're not truly present we each have a sort of glass bottle in front of us where we think we're connecting but we're not truly like you say we're not remembering those things that we said so when we actually hang out and it feels real and precious and and you're fully present it fulfills you in a way that all of that quantity couldn't yeah so true. <laughs>
1: Guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, imagine. it's very emotional.
0: <laughs> last question. Our uh, last question. So you run a program which is called Sexy Sobriety and it's an online program, is that? That's correct, right?
2: That's right.
0: And can you lead us
2: through what's
0: the mission statement and the main focus of the program and what sets it apart from other programs like AA, which everyone has heard of?
2: <laughs> True. Well, the first thing is that it's online. So members can start whenever they want to. They can log in 24-7, which is really appealing to women because they can connect from the privacy of their own home. So instead of having to go somewhere and organize childcare or having to talk to strangers, which can be scary for introverts, they can connect there and get and gain support and inspiration. But, you know, I was really inspired to create this online program because, When I was going through my first three months of sobriety, I realized how many tools I had learned through my training as a health coach and just throughout the years of learning different holistic healing tools that were really helping me. And so I put all of those into this program. So members log in and they get a daily activity, whether that's a pep talk, an interview with a sexy sober woman or, you know, live coaching calls or uh, recipes for mocktails, things like that but I call it 90 lessons in self-love because I truly believe that that is the key to freeing ourselves of addictive patterns. And there can be a propensity to find ourselves in other addictive patterns when we let go of one addiction. So perhaps like coming back to that, scrolling on social media or over shopping or overeating, you know, those sorts of things. Whereas if we truly foster the connection with ourselves and really focus on getting to know and love and trust ourselves again and building that self-love muscle, we find that we can have true freedom from all of those patterns of behavior because we're no longer looking for something outside of ourselves to fill a void. We're actually filling ourselves up from the inside and creating a life that we really love because of that, You know, really being conscious and mindful about the the people and the experiences and the activities and things that we want in our lives going forward. And how... How many people do you help?
0: Like, I mean, honestly, you must be so busy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have, yeah, we have hundreds of members from all around the world and it's incredible because they're so brave as well. Like they share their stories inside the program. We have um, comments throughout the program and I that spurs me on as well. Like I've been running this program for five years now and Every time I read another woman's story, I'm like, "Okay, there's more work to do. like this is this is amazing. This is changing lives. And I feel like so blessed because I get to do this work every day, and it also obviously helps me with my own journey. <laughs>
0: and do you do you feel that it's the most I don't know, like you know, when someone says to you, like you know you've you've changed my life and you've saved my life." do you ever get tired of hearing it? Or is it just like every time you're like, okay, amazing, and I want to help more and more and more? Because, like, I mean, you must get it a lot.
2: Yeah, I do and it, and it makes me cry every time like, my, my love Dom he's like are you crying again I'm like I can't help it it, just, it moves me so much because I remember what it's like and you know recently I was writing my second book and when I was doing that I remembered that I had recorded a pep talk for the program an audio file that was about a drinking dream I'd had and that morning I had got up after the dream and I was so shaken by this crazy dream and I wanted to record it while it was still so raw and fresh in me so I just in my pajamas I recorded it and while I was writing the book the second book and I, I went back and listened to that and that was sort of four years prior that I had recorded it and the, the emotion and the heartbreak it was so raw and so real and it was really uncomfortable and painful to listen to because sometimes I can you know now that I'm five years sober I can sort of forget exactly how heartbreaking it was so when I listen to things like that or when I hear with other women's stories it inspires me every day to get up and do it again because I'm like this is it's something that's truly helping people to to move forward, and it's not just like when we're talking about women healing. It's not just them; it's their entire families. Because let's face it, women hold the family together, yeah. <laughs> especially in this day and age. You know, they are the heart and the and the home of of the family, and so that reverberates out that then they're teaching their children different tactics and and different tools for self soothing and self healing and they're modeling that for their friends and their family and that's incredible like when I think about that sort of ripple effect it's I'm getting goosebumps now because that's what that's what inspires me to get up every day and keep doing it
1: oh that's amazing how can people get started if they want to come and join and be sexy sexy and sober sober.
2: Exactly. Just come on over to sexysobriety.com and you will find everything there. There's, There's two free coaching videos that you might want to watch if you're sort of wondering whether to come and join us on the inside. And then you can start whenever you're ready and we'd love to welcome you
1: amazing thank you thank you so, so much. much
0: this has been so <laughs> warm, opening. And yeah, warm and fuzzy yeah <laughs> and and thank you so much for what you do I, d- I truly believe that we need more sober women role models you know I feel like mm-hmm. everyone from music to movies to everything that we see everyone has a drink in their hand and that's what we see at the moment as this is the way of the world and Uh, As a sober person now, if I had had more sober role models, it might have happened earlier for me. And so I really thank you so much for doing this and helping people because that's what we need.
2: Mm, Thank you so much for saying that. And I totally agree. When I wanted to stop, I didn't know anyone who didn't drink. And so I was terrified. And that was part of what inspired me for the program to interview so many women around the world because I was like, I want to get these women's stories because I want to show women that there are women out there doing incredible things in the world without a drink in their hand. Yeah, exactly. It's like for me, like I just thought, well, this is
0: who I am. Like everyone that I know, like every cool person that I like, like I like Rihanna and all the, they all like, you know, are always drinking and stuff. And then I thought, I'm just going to be this big loser but it's not that way at all. Like, as you, as you say, sobriety is sexy and I feel really cool. And, um, probably me just saying that I'm cool, just like completely removed my cool points. I'm so sorry. But, um, I think like, yeah, I, I feel better for it. And so I definitely like just anyone that's out there being a sober warrior and showing that there is another side is just so great. So, and thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I really, really appreciate
1: it.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. I, I I think it's fabulous what you're doing, like. The name of your podcast is just brilliant. I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank
2: you. Thank you. really appreciate it again.
0: So there you go. Moderation was a tough gig. The bargaining with myself, the rules, the failings, the utter misery. It was not fun. As Bex said, sobriety is empowering. I don't wake up in pools of urine
1: anymore. Talk about sexy sobriety. This podcast was produced, edited and hosted by me, Annie Nolan, and my best friend, Bianca Thompson. Music by Pleasant Pictures Music. Big thanks to Bex Weller from Sexy Sobriety. You can find Bex at Bex Weller on Instagram, you can also buy her quit lit online via her website sexysobriety.com.au. We'll be back with our next episode soon, so check out our social media channels to keep up to date. On Instagram, we are at we wanna be better. Facebook, we are at wewannabebetter. be better, and come and join our closed group and forum at ww2 as in the number bb community group just make sure you fill in the questions so we know the podcast sent you thanks for listening have fun be safe and take care of yourself and your mate